Welcome to Stand Alone. I'm Sabrina Lloyd, founder and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, a multi-million dollar company that ranks as one of the most successful in the insurance industry. My passion is empowering people to become the leaders that they were meant to be. With each episode, I'll teach you how to go from ordinary to extraordinary, how to think like no one else, how to stand alone. It's time we create massive success for ourselves. Welcome everyone to Stand Alone, where we give ourselves the tools for from going from ordinary to extraordinary. And I believe there's a calling inside of every single one of us to really have this. And so today we have a special guest with us, Lindsay Dowd. She's in phenomenal in a phenomenal place in her life where for 25 years, she has been working in sales and management, but she made a decision to make some little shifts, you know, a fine tuning. And what it really revealed to her is what a lot of people are talking about today. And this word is culture. And so today for standalone, I want to talk about this today because for a lot of us, we take for granted the environment that we're in sometimes. We're not really aware of it. But as we become more aware, we start to feel the effects of it. And what what is really important today is that if we're talking about it, what are some strategies to make culture better? And so 25 years in sales and management, Lindsay, I think this is phenomenal. You know, you specialize in acquiring, motivating, and developing salespeople. And, you know, we were talking previously and we said, you know, a lot of companies forget that salespeople are people. So I want to welcome you to the show today. And I want to kick off this conversation because I know that you talk about heartbeats versus headcounts. And what does that mean? And why have you pivoted in this direction, especially for this time today, where people are thinking about this more than ever before? Thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. I'm I'm super happy to be here and very honored to be a guest. Um, so yeah, I had this legacy career, lots of awards, lots of accolades. I you know climbed the ranks. I spent 23 years at IBM and um, really made some phenomenal relationships and got to do some really wonderful first of a kind businesses for IBM and. I know what it's like to experience awful culture, both at IBM and elsewhere, but I also know what it's like to experience phenomenal culture. And I know what it's like to build it. And what happened for me was I had this amazing team. I had built this tremendously diverse organization. Everyone was firing on all cylinders. People felt rewarded. They felt excited. They felt recognized. They were allowed to build their own best practices. And it really helped. I watched people lift each other up in a way that isn't that common, unfortunately. And I made this pivot at the beginning of this year because what I recognized was, first of all, we were dealing with this great resignation, right? Everyone's leaving their jobs and they're not leaving for big money. They're leaving because they're really not feeling valued. They're not feeling seen. They're not feeling like, their, their ideas are being rewarded. And I watched so many colleagues leave jobs just because they were tired. They were fed up. They didn't want to be treated that way anymore. So they were looking for the promise of purpose, collaboration, community. And I recognize this moment as, okay, companies need help. 
They don't understand why other people are leaving. They don't understand what's happening. And maybe they have some toxic leadership they're not aware of. I mean, the biggest mistake we see in sales is you have a phenomenal rep who crushes it. And the only career path available to them is to become a manager if they're going to matter to anyone. And that's such a big mistake because some of those people should stay reps. They don't love the, they don't delight in the success of others. They love the, the look in the client's eyes when the clients do the things that they need to do and they help them get there. And that's perfect. And it's great, but maybe they should stay in that lane. I had a rep who um, was making seven figures as a rep. She was doing tremendously well. And somebody gave her this poisonous idea that if she wasn't a manager and if she didn't change her career path, her resume had no value and she had no value. And I thought, what a shitty thing to say. What a horrible way to make somebody feel. And what's wrong with success that way? Nothing. And so it's this combination of a lack of willingness to meet people where they are. I, I believe in this concept called inverted management. And what this really is, is having every manager across your organization ask their direct reports, how can I be the best manager for you? That is not something that is done very often, but when it is, people will give you wildly different answers. And it's based on age, it's based on experience, it's based on all of the things that have got them to where they are. But their answers are gonna vary. They're gonna say, I need a coach. I need someone to role play with. I just need an escalation point. I need you to help me manage some relationships that are senior at a client. They're all over the place, which is great because it helps you advocate for your people as a leader. So I just said a whole lot. (laughs) And I I really want to like dissect this because it's funny that you mentioned this because I just did a leadership seminar uh, with my team. And one of the things that I wanted to do was increase the awareness of what it feels like to be under their leadership. And so I made them sit down with someone that they're currently leading and they had to be asked that question. Like, what does it feel like to be under me? And they had to hear that feedback and you could see a lot of shifting and and it was a lot of like, I had no idea. And it was really awesome to sit there and watch that Because the truth is, is, you know, we make errors because we're human. I've made errors in my leadership journey. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you have the inability to put yourself in that person's shoe, then, you know, we, we run the risk of leading someone incorrectly, but I want to go back even further because you said something that I a hundred percent agree with. And I express this a lot and I feel like no one listens when I says this, but when I say this, not everyone should be in a management position. And, you know, this falls on deaf ears in corporate, uh, in companies that are run with like a corporate feel Mm -hmm. because they lose touch of what really goes on in the field. And some people, I love that you said this because they don't. A, a producer takes tremendous pride in how their customer feels as opposed to getting that feeling from leading someone else. Can we dive into this a little bit? Yes, today? I'd love you to. Know, and and, and why? what you're them is when you have a person that delights in the success of their clients, you the company wants to magnify that, right? They want more people to learn from that person. But why is the only option for them to be a manager? 
it's not. And so I have another methodology that I really like to leverage. And I did this a lot as a leader and that's recognition. And recognition comes in a lot of forms. Of course, there's the obvious, the awards, the cash, the trips, but there's the other stuff like, hey, since we've been talking on one-on-ones and since I asked you the question of how can I be the best manager for you, you told me you love to speak in front of people. Would you speak on the next all hands call and tell the story about how you won this deal? Maybe it's not the biggest deal. Who cares? They learn something and they have something to share. And that recognition creates this friendly competition across the team and people want to rise up and they lift each other up that way. And there's so many ways to recognize people. I I love the bosses that did really weird, quirky things and said, I'm going to do a challenge and whoever can crush this and coach someone else on the team or whatever it was, is going to win a Peloton, like (laughs) crazy, crazy competitions. But you know what? They loved it. They wanted to see how others were doing. You rooted for each other. And when you create that safe space for people to rise up, they do phenomenal things. But back to the point of the, the rep who has the singular, singular career path of great rep, obviously a manager. The part that I think we miss is that rep Of course, you can create levels within the role. So you can always offer promotions based on that. So it doesn't feel like there's no progress in their title, but there's also other ways to make them feel more empowered and make them much more useful to the company. They can do coaching sessions. They can be a mentor. They They can speak to a group of people in a training session. You know, leveraging that expertise and keeping it where it is is a good thing. And there are other people in the team that do delight in the success of others. And those are the ones that we should look at and say, you know what, you have real potential. Can I indulge you with a story of of a great seller who became a manager on my team? For sure. Yeah, so I had this woman, I um, I inherited a team and they had been bounced around. I think they had five managers over the course of a year and a half. And so the team was a little bit lost, a little bit frazzled. They had a whole bunch of products that kept getting thrown into their portfolio. And there was definitely some new blood on the team that I don't really think they knew where the bathroom was. And so um, this woman, Emma, basically, she, she didn't know me from anybody. She had only heard about me and said, you know, Lindsay, I'm looking around the team and I think there's a couple of people that could use some, some coaching. Do you mind if I jump in and try and help? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Tell me what you find and, and tell me how I can help. And what we learned was there was a woman on the team who absolutely didn't understand her job. She had come over from marketing. It was a reorg. She was just stuck in this role. And she's like, she's putting up zeros every month. And it was three months in a row. And I'm like, Emma, we've got to talk to her and find out what's going on. Now, Emma's a peer. She's not her her boss. But I, I watched Emma and the two of us sat there with this rep and basically said, you know, do you understand the job? And do you know that we're here? We've got your back. And let's talk about the things you can say. And let's talk about the things you should do in this role and what your power is. And she was like, I I have this power and you guys are behind. Okay. She became one of my top performers in six months. And as a result, Emma got promoted to manager. And one of the questions I asked Emma before that happened was, Emma, has anyone ever asked you if you wanted to be a manager? And she's like, Lindsay, I would love to be a manager and no one's ever asked me. And I said, well, 
you've demonstrated the role of a manager long before I recognized this. And I'm just really glad to give you this opportunity. And she turned that team around. There was cohesion. There was best practices. It was like a dream just to watch the whole thing happen. And she's still crushing it to this day. Um, so it's a major source of pride. But when you ask those questions of what's important to you, what do you want to do? You're going to get these answers that are going to help you arm yourself. And when you're asked by the top brass, what's going on in the field? How are our people doing? You're going to know. And you're going to say, you know, I had a rep who came up with this really great idea. It's totally different than anything we've ever done. What do you think? Some of my favorite success stories are those stories where they created something from nothing. Yeah. So, anyway. You know, I, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, what another thing that's popping up is that, you know, when we talk about toxic cultures in a work, um, I want to, I want to like challenge you with this, with this idea, you know, do you think, because I've seen this actually happen, there are some people that get into management roles and they really shouldn't be in management roles because they are producers. And then they start to think that it's a toxic environment, but they're in a position that makes them feel toxic. Yeah. And it's not the environment. Do you think that if we could just spend time with understanding people and what roles fit them best, mm -hmm. and then people, you know, just having that relationship with leadership to have those discussions instead of us pointing the finger at the corporation and saying it's toxic or, you know, the corporation pointing the finger at people and saying like, you're not good at what you do. Like maybe we're just not in the right role. Well, I think you hit it. And I, I really feel like in order to make change and to move the needle within a company, the C-level the, the folks have got to be willing to look in the mirror and they've got to accept that they're going to have a couple of people that might be in the wrong roles. Maybe they were that shining star that got promoted. But I worked for a woman um, who was absolutely in the wrong role. And she didn't believe in positive feedback, which was super hard for me because I'm extremely like, I want to talk about it. And I want some like feedback. Am I doing a good job? Do you see what I'm doing? My job is really big. And she's like, oh, you and my husband would get along great. No, I don't. I think if I tell you anything positive, you'll think you're doing great all over. Like who leads like that? And she just didn't have the management skills or the chops to create that psychological safety that people really needed. But the worst part was the people above her thought she was brilliant because she managed up so well. And this is where um, I love to kind of employ, there's a lot of companies that aren't very uncomfortable with kind of skip level interviews or executive interviews or mentor mentees that go around um, their bosses. And that is such a, a, an incorrect assumption because if you can create an environment where people can say, hey guys, anyone on this executive staff across the company is open and available for advocacy and mentorship. You are encouraged and allowed to reach out and create those relationships. What that does for employees is create advocates where they wouldn't have them. And I did this within IBM and there was a woman who was so great. Um, someone said, you need to go and speak to Melinda. I said, okay. And I was ready. I was itching every like two or three years. I was like, all right, I'm ready for a new challenge. And so I met her and she was a VP and she was like, Linz, I've got some open jobs. Tell me what you're good at. Tell me what you like. 
And so I told her about myself and the things that I like to do and the way I hustle. And she was like, okay, I have five things for you. (laughs) Five? Yeah, I do. No, you can pick. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't have a supportive leadership that was like, of course, go talk to her. Of course, you should keep looking for that next thing. And so when you have that kind of blanket encouragement from everyone that we want everyone at this company to have an opportunity to do their best to try new things, to stretch, you get the best out of everyone. And if you're having a problem with that one boss, you have someone to talk to. You have someone to strategize with to say, okay, look, I don't think this is going to work, me working for this person. What else can I do? And perhaps it will shed some light on maybe I'll keep an eye on that person and see what's happening. Maybe I'll ask a couple other people to see if it's just her or is it pervasive across the team? Because when they manage up really well, the top people don't see it, right? They only see the polish. They only see the, you know, the, the smooth moves. Um, and that's so important for uh, organizations to really have a good pulse on who their people are and how they feel. You know, this is this is real stuff. This really happens in leadership um, all the time. And one of the things that I adopted, um, you know, is the concept of leadership teams instead of just leadership hierarchies. Because when you're in that hierarchy, which I believe in, I believe like order and structure is incredibly important, but I also believe that you have to be dynamic. And there's a times where someone from another team could help to influence someone at a different place in a hierarchy that not necessarily the person above them could help them with. And, you know, what is the role of trust Mm. to be able to execute on that? Because what I've found is that when people have this rigidness to them and they're like, I don't want you talking to my people if I'm not there, I'm looking at them like, well, why is that? Right. If you're unwilling to share a spotlight, that should say a lot about that leader. And trust is kind of the biggest fundamental. Everybody wants this. The best companies with the greatest culture have a really thick vein of trust throughout Mm -hmm. the whole organization. And that question that I started with at the beginning of how can I be the best manager for you? You're opening the door for this two-way street of trust because that person, I had a manager once who asked me, and this is just kind of a different way to ask that same question. I was shocked when she asked me this. She was a new manager to me and she said, so Lindsay, we had just met for the first time in person and we were at a conference in Vegas and she sits down and she goes, here, sit, sit. I said, okay. She goes, what's your story? I go, uh, how I got this job? Like wh- how I got to Vegas? Like which story? And she goes, no, your story, your whole life story. I'm like, you want my whole life story? You have a minute? This can take a, a, a while. Are you sure? Yeah, I want to understand what makes you tick. I wanna understand what motivates you and it'll help me understand how best to manage you. And I was so stunned by that. And I was like, I know how it made me feel. So I started to use it with my own team and it gave me an opportunity to say, okay, I know how my my team is stacked. I know what their superpowers are. 
So when I heard other leaders saying, hey, Linz, I've got a, an opening on this job. Do you know anybody that's really good for this? Actually, I do. I don't want to lose them, but they need to go for this job. And that's how you kind of strategize across your organization, but it's based on trust. And those people that I helped push along in those, in those veins, they're still my greatest allies. We talk all the time. They still get Christmas cards. Like we've built that trust and that faith in humanity. And when you can do that, and as a leader, you make yourself trustworthy by being vulnerable, by sharing your mistakes, by saying, okay, we didn't do a good job on whatever that was. We learned from it. I'm not going to beat you up. You're already doing that yourself. So let's just learn from it, never repeat it and move on. If you can do that and learn from your failures, people are going to rise up for that leader. They always do. And I've lived it and I love it. And it, when you have that culture, it's just contagious. And everybody knocks on the door and says, I want to be part of that organization. They're having fun. They're safe. They're trying new things. They're laughing. Don't you want to laugh at work? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think like, you know, I don't want to, I want to challenge you uh, also yeah. with like this word safe. I hate this word. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I'm just saying from, for me, because I believe, um, that when we say this word, it actually starts to not use the muscles that build courage. But I think the way you use safe is different because yeah. if someone is looking for safety, this is not how you achieve great things, right? You got to put yourself out there, True. right? So how, how do we explain this word to make people feel like the objective is not safety. The objective is you being no. the greatest version of you. That's it. Yes. It's, the psychological safety is, it's not, it's not a, you know, a baseline of, okay, I just need to make it there and then I'm fine. That's not what it is at all. What it is, is creating that environment of trust. What it is, is giving people the space to do their best work. It's looking at your team and saying, you all got here of your own talent and your own recognition. I trust that you can do this job. And because I trust you, I'm not going to micromanage the crap out of you. That's psychological safety. That is just creating the environment for people not to be afraid, for people not to feel like if I had, I'll give you a story. I had a boss who basically said, I don't like how you're doing these calls. Every time we get on them, you're making a mistake. Well, guess what happened? Every call after that, I continued to make a mistake because I was so anxious and I was so worried that I was going to screw up again that... I wasn't natural. I wasn't doing my best. I wasn't in the groove. I wasn't in the pocket. I wasn't relying on my instincts. I was so fearful that I was going to mess up again. (laughs) And I did. But when you have somebody else say, you know, girl, that wasn't a great call. We recognize that. What are we going to do differently? They're asking me to step up and say, this is what I'm going to do next time. Do you have my back? I do. Let's do it. That's what it is. It's not a... dumb it down. It's not a, oh, you can be mediocre at all. It's the opposite. It's giving them the space to be the best. Right. And I think a lot of leaders today, um, you know, are in a, in a predicament because you have this feeling as a leader, like I'm here to guide you. I'm here to provide certainty for you, but I also want to give you that space and that freedom So how do you navigate through that? So you're not micromanaging, but you're leading and inspiring someone to do their best work. Well, so back to the recognition piece, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have someone that does something good and 
sometimes it's as big as a really big sale. And sometimes it's a small sale. And sometimes it's, they rose up and they coached somebody. somebody. You're creating this, um, and you give those people the opportunity to share those moments. You're, you're creating the, this is what I want from you. This is the, the things that are going to be rewarded. This is the way that we're going to honor good performance. Um, and you let them lead and you let them shine and you raise them up to senior management and you make sure that they're being seen and that they're being spoken about more broadly. That will reward the people and motivate the people far better than I'm gonna call you every day until this deal is done. <laughs> You know, when you ask the question of, tell me the things that you need to move any obstacles for you to get this deal done, what can I do? Do you need me to call the client? Do you need me to pull on some other folks? Do you need more resources to get this done? Do you need more technical folks to help you execute a demo? What, what do you need? That's what a leader does. Let's remove those obstacles. Let's see everything we can do to help get this done right. But when you sit there and you're like, team, this isn't enough, everybody has to do more, and you're coming from that negative frame, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get fear, you're mm -hmm. gonna get intimidation. And negativity. Get, yeah, and people are gonna hate their job, and they're gonna hate the stress, and they're gonna not give you their best. And the best part, when you create these positive environments is people thrive on the pace. They thrive on the excitement, the wins, the, you know, I learned this guys, I got to tell you what I tried here. It was totally different. I, I used video instead of an email and, and it got me this, what I want to try it. How'd you do it? Like, that's what you want to create. And, and it, I just saw this great post yesterday about if you want to keep all of your mediocre people keep micromanaging them because the ones that are hustlers are going to leave because they're not going to want to work in that environment. So you'll be breeding this constant mediocre team when really what you want is the opposite. So it's, it's just, I've seen it, I've lived it and it hurts when you're in it. Um, and it's wrong. Yeah. It's really, it's really amazing because, you know, I'll be approaching almost 20 years in business. You have 25 years of of sales and management experience, but like when you can go back to like when you first started and what you thought versus what is real, you know, the biggest shame that I see is that when people don't evolve their thinking, they haven't changed their style. Do you yeah. believe in, you know, situational leadership where you understand people and, you know, some people are driven in different ways. And this oh. is why I tell my team all the time, like, you, when, when people give you, create that freedom and free up more time for you, that's not so you can go and celebrate and like do whatever you want to do. That's so you can start to have that time to study your people and learn about them, yeah. learn about leadership, get better and better and better. Well, what? That's, a, that's a great point, Sabrina. I mean, people, um, I think back in the early years, you know, when you get those first leadership roles, a lot of people mistake it for, oh, I've got power now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they misuse it. And they're like, I can tell people what to do. And that's kind of a young mentality. But I watched a lot of people do that. And I watched the people that reported to them and they're like, I don't think this person knows what they're doing. <laughs> this is really frightening. And when you take that humble approach of, guys, I'm new at this too. And I've been new to so many jobs throughout the years that 
you know, you want to learn from the people on your team and you want to hear what's working. Tell me, I had a boss once, she was phenomenal. And she said to me, she goes, Linz, now that you have this job and this big organization, tell me what you want to do to make it better. And I looked at her, I'm like, you, you want to know? <laughs> you, want, you want to hear my ideas? Oh, this is fantastic. I said, give me a minute. And then I went to my team. I'm like, you guys, we have an opportunity to create some best practices and to do some things that are different. Let's hear some ideas. They couldn't wait to share their ideas. I couldn't wait to share the team's ideas. And you know what? When you compared my team to all my peers and what they were doing, we were having fun. We were creating new best practices. We built a storytelling program. We had people calling us saying, I got on your monthly call and I just changed my entire strategy based on something I learned that you guys told us because you told it to us in a really simple way. Like we just learned how to do things differently. And that is so exciting and so fun to be a part of, but it's a constant learning. And when you have those leaders that are willing to really kind of listen and surround themselves with people that are smarter than they are. And I'm the first one to say, I am not the smartest one in the room. I'm surrounding myself with people that are far brighter and more connected in ways that I'm not. And I want to learn from them. When you can take that kind of humble approach, people are like, I have ideas. Can I share? And isn't that great? Don't you want to see people giving their best? And there's always better ways to do things. We're always learning, right? I mean, 20 years ago when you started, did you sell the same way then that you sell now? Probably not. I mean, not. you can't because the customer isn't the same. The flow of information isn't the same. Their access to information isn't the same. So you're, you're crazy if you think you can sell the right? same. Yeah. Right? So everything's an evolution. And as long as you accept that you, you'll never have all the answers. I don't care how amazing you are. <laughs> when you look at... Bezos and Richard Branson and all these major, major leaders, they're still learning. They're innovating all the time and they're changing their strategy. They're changing the way they talk. They're changing the way they communicate. Why wouldn't the rest of us? Yeah. And, you know, I think that like everything we're talking about, it sounds so good, but I just want for people to know, like, this is really hard. It's oh. not easy to do this. And if we can like you know, come from a place of, I, as a leader have to get uncomfortable because yes, what yes. I did in the past, isn't going to serve me today or the future. So how, as a, as a leader, how do we, because sometimes as a leader, we're doing something and we know it's wrong mm -hmm. and where we can feel it. How do we change? How do we stop what we're doing and grow so that we can be better and be, become a better leader? Yeah. I, I think, um, one of the things when I'm talking to leaders is, is saying, okay, are you willing to look in the mirror? And if you are, these are the words I want you to use for your people. Team, I haven't done enough to invest in you. And this is what we're doing. We're going to make some changes. You're going to hear language changes in the ways that we're speaking to you and the way that we're all going to speak as a company. We're going to see, we're going to make some changes that are going to change the way that we feel about this place, but we all have to do it together. We haven't done everything right, but I want us to acknowledge that we can grow, that we can pivot, and that we're going to do right by you. So I want to hear your ideas. I want you to understand this is going to be an adjustment for all of us, but we've really got to take this time to figure out what works, what doesn't work, and feedback is going to be important. So your managers are going to come to you and they're going to be asking you these questions of, 
How can I be a better leader? Be honest, give them that good feedback because it's only going to help you in the long run. They're going to better know who you are and what you need. So when a manager or a leader can say those kinds of things, first of all, it's disarming. The people are going to be like, wow, this is someone who really recognizes they want to make a change. And some people are really narcissistic and it doesn't work. <laughs> Others, when you can kind of adopt that practice across the company, you can see material change. And the quickest way to see it is through social media. Because when you have people that love where they work, they're constantly talking about it, right? I have a, a friend who works for Zoom and she says it's some of the most phenomenal culture she's ever been a part of. She said, she's part of her CEO's fun squad. I'm like, his fun squad? She said, yeah, he wants to infuse fun in everything we do, whether it's a virtual background or it's a challenge that the whole company is going to take on or something to celebrate. There are always ways to make it fun. Well, how do you think that makes all the employees feel? Creating that space for joy and laughter. Oh my gosh, they all want to talk about it. And that's free advertising. So that's the best kind of press you could ever get when your own people have pride in what you're doing. So there's really nothing but upside in building this culture. And what I firmly believe, and I've seen with my own eyes, when you build it, the results follow because people rise up. And so the numbers are always going to be impacted in a positive way when you make those changes. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I um, notice in leaders is I always look at, do you have an agenda? Because those are the most dangerous leaders, right? When, and it's not a mission, it's not an objective. Like every leader has to have an objective, but when they have an agenda, it means they're trying to manipulate the behaviors so that they can get what they want to have done um, a certain way. And I wanna talk about this because the way we do things is where the innovation lies because we all have to be on a similar objective. Just like when you said, you know, this individual you were training with, they were producing zeros. She has to know that's not a common objective. We can't no. come in here with zeros, no. like that's not okay. No. But but how do how do we go as a leader from having an agenda and being narrow-minded and close-minded to being open to hearing different ideas so we can hit objectives. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes back to understanding. I mean, you obviously have the company goals that you have to adhere to and, and drive and produce. And, and I was coaching um, a woman recently, she was a regional VP at this company. And what her new boss had said he was going to do was entirely antithetical to what she got for her comp plan and her quota. And she had to deliver this horrible message to her team. And I asked her, I'm just like, how long can you work for somebody who lied to your face and is now going totally against your values of, you know, this is not how you lead, that you like to be a transparent leader. And you basically heard this, your team heard it, and now he's done the complete opposite. How long can you work in that environment? And some environments are beyond help. And as an employee, you kind of have to take the pulse of, is it just my boss that is toxic or is it all of the leadership? Is it, you know, you could have great products, 
you could have really innovative people that are in your R&D department. But if you have sales leadership that is toxic, that believes in micromanaging and intimidation and, you know, aggressive approaches, that might not be the environment you're going to thrive in. And what's so interesting about this great resignation is people are so openly talking about what they need and what they don't want. And now I think is this better time than we've ever had in our corporate culture that it's kind of out there, right? Everybody's writing about it. And if you're a leader of an organization, you better do a pulse check and say, am I doing these things? Are my people adhering to the values that I hold dear? And are we off the rails? And maybe we are, and maybe we need to stop and get some experts in here to help us correct. And I think everybody has room for correction in some way. Lord knows I've got, I've been given lots of feedback. I'm like, oh my God, I said that and it really bothered you. I'm very sorry. It won't happen again. And you learn from it and you remember it. You probably beat yourself up over it. But when you can move beyond it and grow, that's what you want from everybody. I, I want one of them, um, uh, uh, someone we both know, I won't use his name. He told me about his evolution as a leader. And he used to be, as he called it, a giant ogre. And he yelled at everyone and intimidated everyone. And over the course of the last 15, 20 years, he's completely changed to a compassionate leader where he lifts his team up and they love to work for him. And when you see that kind of transformation, it gives you hope. And it makes you realize, okay, if this guy could go from where he was to where he is now, and he's running a company and it's very successful, there's hope for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, there's hope for me. I was, you know, I, I'm, I I was very, very aggressive. I'm still aggressive today, but I've also learned that I have to round my edges off and I have to be more for my people. I have to know when to bring intensity. So I like that word more. Like, I think I'm an intense, not necessarily yeah. aggressive, but it, it's also about the timing. Like there's a time to be that. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is the thing about sales. Like you have to bring these different personalities when you have objectives to hit so that yeah. you can infuse energy into the sales force, which I think oh. is incredibly important. And isn't everybody multifaceted? right? Yeah. I mean, you can't be intense all the time. You just yeah. heal over and die. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't. So you want people to be nuanced and you want people to hit the gas pedal when they need to, yeah. and to have fun when they need to, and to bring levity when they need to. And this is the, the real fun discovery that's that's been happening as I've started on this journey. Nobody wants a 100% polished person who is going to be so buttoned up on everything they do. They want the, how'd you learn from your real, mistake? you know, you got fired. What, how does that happen? And look what you did since then. Like they want that story. Everyone wants to root for somebody. So when yeah. you can admit those failures and those mistakes, and when you say like, God, I, did, I was so bad in front of this client and I just, it was, it was the worst thing. I thought I should never be a seller again, but I learned from it and I came back and I did this. Everyone wants a good story like that, right? And so when you can kind of show yourself as this humble leader who understands, you know what? I was too intense there. I just needed to pull back a little and I missed it. They'll be like, right. I love that she saw that. That's great. You know, yeah. people want that. Totally. I, I wanted to talk about the role of communication in culture because, you know, when you, we hear this 
we hear this all the time, the great resignation. You know, I'm a big believer that, you know, it, quitting is something that is a very dangerous conversation to entertain. And, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing in today is people failing to communicate and then just walking away. And so there is a big difference between a company not aligning with your values and principles versus you're not getting what you want and you're just going to find it somewhere else. Well, that's not the solution. So what is the role in, of communication in building a successful and, you know, success producing environment? So I, I have a concept that I call stay interviews and stay interviews ideally happen. So you never get to an exit interview, but stay interviews are also, so you talk to your sellers weekly, bi-weekly about their numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you switch it, so it's the first two months of the quarter, it's, one week numbers, the second week, you're talking about them. You're talking about their life. You're getting to know them. You want to know about their career aspirations. You want to know the things that they loved in their last jobs. You want to know the things that they're good at. And when you understand and you take those moments and you say, tell me something that I can improve on, or tell me how you might do this. Or when you look at your career, where do you want to take it? Because I want to best support you. First of all, you're creating, again, this great vein of trust, right? Right. And you're, you're understanding who your people are. So by implementing this as a regular practice, and if you can't do it every other week, do it once a month, but you have to do it. And you have to, I hate when leaders are like, I don't have time for that. Okay, well, if you don't have time for that, it's going to bite you in the ass because you're not going to know who your people are and you're not going to know when positions open up who your key players are that should move. You've not taken the time. You just don't get to know them. And that's a mistake. So anyway, I just think those conversations are so fundamentally important, really for every leader, not just sales. But when you understand that, you, you really can build a much more dynamic, rich organization. And I, I just think it's so, it's so fundamentally important. Yeah. And I think that um, if people just had these conversations and got used to, you know, having the courage to, to say things, but I think it's also important with what you're saying, like, do people have that, that net underneath them to know that someone isn't going to like get rid of me if I say something that they don't agree with, you know, that they have to have that baseline level of regard and respect in that environment. It becomes for the toxic leaders, everything is personal, right? And that's the worst because, you know, if you don't connect on a personal level and they have some preconceived notion about who you are, it's going to be near impossible for you to overcome that it just is and that's the the danger that I think when we first were talking about reps that become managers that really shouldn't be managers very often because they don't have the tools to kind of take a step back and look at their people and say okay what could I be doing better having that humble leadership style servant leadership style um I think they miss it, but I've watched that happen. I've watched really, really prickly altercations with people that have resulted in people quitting, people getting fired. Um, And it's all unnecessary because they were doing really good work. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's tough, but back to your point earlier about, you know, the great resignation and people quitting, the quitting is happening because they're not having these conversations and people aren't feeling that they're being seen. You know, people crave community, collaboration, and purpose. That's really what you want in a job. And let's be real, 70% of our lives, 65% of our lives are spent working. So right. don't you want to be with people that you feel good about, that you can trust, that you're interested and invested in? I, I do. I do. I mean, when you're working with people that you really enjoy, you're so excited to do stuff with them. You're excited to go on that customer call or have a cadence call because you see each other, you feed off each other. And I think the companies that have really been struggling have forgotten this. Yeah. I love that you're sharing this. You know, I just want to say thank you for your time today. Thank you for just, you know, having this conversation where we can talk about things that don't get spoken about enough in a lot of cultures. And people are always wondering like, well, how do you create a great culture? I believe that culture is the effect, you know, it's the end product. So you got to go backwards and saying like, what am I doing to cause this? Mm -hmm. And so all the things we really talked about today, that's what people have to dive into. You know, what am, what are my actions? What are my behaviors? What are my mindsets? You know, am I coming at this from a place of, I have an agenda or are we on the same mission together? So I love that you're, you're sharing this, you know, to wrap up, you know, I just believe, uh, I am, I'm a lover of wisdom. You know, mm. I have so much respect and regard for people that can put in decades of work. You know, I don't, I've come to this place where I just, when someone does something, I'm like, do it again then do it again. And let me see you do it again and continue to do it again. Like that's what greatness is. That's what being extraordinary is. It's not just a one-time thing. And can you endure? So I just think um, your wisdom comes from your endurance. You know, what, what would you say in 25 years is something that, you know, you've been able to grow that spirit of endurance and to just share with everyone that like, you know, even if you are in a bad place, like come at it with a different lens. What can I learn from this instead of running away, instead of building this mentality of like, I can go find something else. No, you have to learn certain skills because you're gifting yourself the spirit of endurance, which then gifts to you wisdom. Yeah. I'd say there's two things that, um, I learned over the years that have served me, served me really well. And in turn, have helped me serve others. And mm -hmm. one is building those relationships of advocacy, both me finding advocates, both in my company and outside of my company and being an advocate for Love others. That. So when I think back to my career and I think back to all of the jobs that I got and all of the first of a kind businesses I started within my, my company, it was because I had those people that knew who I was because I sought them out and I watched them and I respected them. And I said, you know what? I love what you said in that last meeting. I was really inspired by it. And you know, if you could spare 30 minutes at some point, I'd love to talk more. Well, those relationships have stayed with me for 20 years. And they get Christmas cards and, you know, we, we still have lunch wherever we're in the same town. 
Um, but those people are mentors, advocates, and friends. And that really feeds your soul. It helps you check yourself. Am I crazy? Should I leave this job because I'm feeling this way? No, no, stick it out. You haven't been there long enough or whatever. And they know you. So they yeah. know what you're capable of, but they're also your cheerleader. And they're yes. also the ones that are like, girl, you got this. I'm so proud of you. And you get that random text on a you know Thursday morning at 5am. I was working out. I was thinking of you and I see what you're doing and crush it. Do you know what that does for somebody when they get that little note? And I know what that does for people. So, you know, when you send that note to someone and say, I remember when you were putting up zeros and I'm so proud of what you're doing right now. Like they feel that. And that's just spreading that positivity. But the other thing that I think I've learned really much more recently is how powerful networking really is. And specifically through LinkedIn, um, the connections that I've made in the last three months um, have been profound and interesting and have really amplified the message that I'm trying to spread um, because it's resonating with them, but it's also dovetailing nicely to with what they're doing. But when you come from a place of, I don't want anything from this relationship, I just really like what you're saying. I, I love these contributions. I'm learning from you. First of all, it makes whoever is sharing whatever they're sharing feel great, but it then creates an opportunity for a relationship that you might not have had before. And some people can kind of dismiss the whole, well, it's a stranger and how much stock are you going to put in a stranger? Well, everybody's a stranger at some point and you, you got to figure out a way to connect with people. But um, I think, you know, there's no longer is a boardroom or a conference room, the only way to do business. And we saw that through the pandemic and this virtual world we're in is only gonna increase. It's going to the metaverse, whatever that is. And we've got to kind of figure this out. And um, LinkedIn isn't the place that you go just when you're looking for a job anymore. It's a place where you're finding experts, where you're seeing inspiring stuff, but the stuff that I'm doing, I'm seeing all these experts write about it. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm hitting a chord because this is what's being talked about too. So I want to connect with those authors. And some of the authors of the things that I've written, we're starting partnerships together because we're like-minded and it was unexpected and really cool. So you got to kind of be open and um, be hungry and be complimentary because I think it, it will serve them and you really well. So those yeah. are my, my two tips. That's so awesome. You, you say the word advocate. I use the word like fan, you know, it, it's good when someone is a fan of you and then you should also become a fan of someone else. So I love that you shared that, you know, I thank you for having this conversation today because really um, what you're doing, Lindsay is so incredibly important because you're opening the door to have communication and connection so that people can get better. And that's what we all want. At the end of the day, if you're a sales rep, if you're a manager, we all care about getting better. So thank you for your work. Thank you for your dedication to your uh, craft and what you do. And thank you for being a great contributor to our community of standalone. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. Have a Where great can people find oh, you yeah. if they want to hear more information from you? Yeah, my website is heartbeatforhire.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Insta at uh, Lindsay Dowd, H4H. And uh, I'm 
constantly posting and sharing and uh, hopefully giving people some good nuggets to, to think about, but that's, that's where you find me. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Sabrina. Take care. Thanks for listening to Stand Alone. If you like what you hear, I'd love if you leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me at I am Sabrina Lloyd or at Lloyd Agencies on Facebook and Instagram.